0: Welcome to Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer, a podcast where testicular cancer survivors, caregivers, and others who have navigated the cancer journey share their stories. The podcast comes to you from the Max Mallory Foundation, a nonprofit family foundation focused on educating about testicular cancer in honor and in memory of Max Mallory who died in 2016 at the young age of 22 from testicular cancer had he survived max wanted to help young adults with cancer this podcast helps meet that goal here now is your host joyce lofstrom max's mom and a young adult cancer survivor
1: Today is Byron Lane. And Byron is an author, playwright, screenwriter, and a testicular cancer survivor. In 2016, he released his award-winning web series *Last Will and Testicle*, which I am sure many of you as listeners have watched. And Brian, Byron will tell us more about it when we talk with him. His debut novel is called *A Star's Board*, hailed by the New York Times as wildly funny about an uptight celebrity assistant struggling to manage his eccentric movie star boss, which is inspired in part by Lane's own time as an assistant to beloved actress Carrie Fisher. Lane is a two-time regional Emmy Award winner from his time as a television news journalist. He also wrote the acclaimed play Tilda Swinton Answers an Ad on Craigslist and the feature film Herbie's Boy starring Academy Award winner Octavia Spencer. He lives in Palm Springs with his husband and best-selling author Stephen Rowley. So, Byron, thanks so much for joining me today.
2: Joyce, I'm so excited to talk about this, to raise some awareness and honor Max's memory. Let's do
1: it, you know? Yeah, thank you. So, tell us about your story, your testicular cancer journey. What happened, when, anything you want to share. I'll share from the beginning.
2: I was, uh, this isn't very glamorous, but I was peeing and I just happened to be feeling a testicle and felt a small lump that, that felt like the size of a pea. I noted it, but I I didn't worry about it. And then uh, maybe a month later or something, I felt again, and it was larger, like the size of a marble. And so I made an appointment with the urologist, and he said that uh, almost certainly it was... uh, Whatever it was, it wasn't supposed to be there. They had to take it out, uh, and that it was likely cancer, but they wouldn't know until they remove it and cut it open and send it out for tests and all that stuff. And so that's what we did. And uh, when they did do the testing the pathology called it a, uh, let's see, I wrote it down, malignant mixed germ cell tumor with elements of teratoma, seminoma, um, carcinoma, and yolk sac tumor. I didn't really know what any of this stuff meant, but the doctor explained that uh, there was some cancer um, and I had the choice to do chemo then and uh, raise my chances that it wouldn't come back. Not exactly hope for the best, but lean on the good odds that it wouldn't return. Because it was like, 95% 95% chance that the cancer wouldn't come back, but if I did chemo, then it went up to like 98 or something like that. Right. Um, but I chose to not do chemo because of the good odds. And then in 2020, and I did my regular checks and all the scans showed everything clear. And then in 2020, I did a, a regular scan and it showed something in my lymph nodes like in my hip area to the right of my groin, and it was a tumor. And so I had to do chemo and then had have, have a surgery to remove the tumor from the lymph nodes. And then I got stitched back up and sent home, and I've been doing scans ever since, and everything looks uh, clear and good and smooth sailing.
1: Well, that's wonderful. I'm glad you're, you're healthy. You also had to go through the second round during the uh, pandemic, so
2: uh,
1: how was that?
2: That was really... Uh, you know, I, I'm in this weird spot, especially after the second diagnosis, where I'm really trying hard to see the little beautiful moments in things that were rough, and so... Um, the COVID aspect of of chemo was a little was crazy. Wearing a mask all day, having to having a mask while you're uncomfortably getting all the chemicals and all that stuff. It was a it was a drag. But a good side, if I can find a silver lining of of that, was um, I got to spend a lot of time with the other patients there. I got to was observe a lot. I didn't have to have my partner sitting there with me. So I did try to find. I made some friends kind of in the in the chemo chairs next to me. So there were some. Um, there were some bright spots, but it was also scary. And there was also the scary moment where, so, so I w I like to go on lots of walks and I could, I could feel something, um, kind of in my leg. Like it felt like there was something in my, in my hip area. And, uh, I had, I never in a million years thought it would have been a tumor, but I thought it could be some kind of symptom of the cancer coming back. And, uh, my doctor, my oncologist in LA was trying to move the appointment because of COVID. Uh, all these doctors were canceling appointments unless it was medically necessary. And I remember when the office called, I said, uh, actually, no, I, I can't cancel because I think I'm having symptoms. I need something checked out. And they were like, oh, sure. And so we, you know, then the journey continued. But I was kind of proud of myself for for standing up for myself and for saying, uh, no, actually, I have something that needs attention because that isn't exactly how how I've always been. And I think that after the uh, after the first diagnosis, I you know, there was a shift in me of, you know, I have to take care of myself. I have to be my own advocate.
1: And that's a perfect example of what we all need to do with any kind of health uh, issue that we have. And especially during COVID, it would have, not would have been, it is hard to do. And I, I'm glad that you could share that because I think our listeners would benefit from that as well, because it's very easy to say, oh, I'll just wait, you know, it's okay. And thank goodness you didn't wait. So yep. I know I watched your, uh your web series, Last Will and Testicle, and, you know, I have to say it was great. I mean, oh. what, a, what a wonderful way to uh, tell this story and, and help people and you had your parents in it and it was just a very fun to watch, but also informative program. So talk a little bit about just how you decided to do that and tell your story that way.
2: Oh, thank you. Uh, well, first of all, I uh, thank you so much for watching that. And also, I'm sorry that you had to watch that because some of them are a little bit wacky. But,
1: that's know, why I, it's good,
2: though. So, thank you.
1: Not to thank interrupt, you. but yeah. So.
2: Yes. Oh, well, thank you, Joyce. You know, I don't know. I've always, I've always kind of been someone who likes to be creative and a storyteller. And I studied journalism in school and in college, and that's kind of where I got my start with everything. And then when I moved to Los Angeles, I started getting involved in like film. Writing scripts and all that stuff, and web series production, and and I'm always looking for ideas. I'm always I'm always writing things down and trying to find the next uh, thing I want to write about or create. And and then when this the first diagnosis came, it really was a shock. It was my first taste of mortality, and uh, of my body kind of you know showing me that it has a life of its own in a certain way. And but then but then in the in the midst of all that, humorous things were happening. So. Like I called my uh, my dad and to tell him what happened, and he said, uh, "Well, uh, so they're taking out a testicle, and but but how many testicles do you have right now?" Like he was confused (laughs) about because I had an injury when I was a kid, and okay, uh, yeah. So so and and things like that just were humorous, and they just kept happening. And like uh, my doctor, my my uh, urologist was kind of a funny character, and so I would I would just collect all these little stories, and suddenly it felt like little scenes I could create. And it was actually really helpful for, um, I think my healing and my coping to be able to make some art out of it and, and to do something creative, um, with, uh, something really hard. It gave me an outlet to kind of process a lot of the, a lot of the, um, scary stuff.
1: Well, it was, it was very good. I mean, I really, I laughed and just, you know, I could see how it would be helpful to be able to, as you said, tell your story that way. And, If I can backtrack for a minute, you mentioned you studied journalism. If I can, I studied journalism too in Missouri. I just wondered where you worked and where you won your Emmy, because I know you won a regional Emmy too.
2: Yeah. um, So I am from New Orleans. And so I went to Loyola University in New Orleans. And while I was there, I worked at WWL TV, which was the CBS affiliate in New Orleans. Okay. And uh, I started as an intern and then kind of rose through the ranks. And by the time I was done with college at Channel 4, I was was an associate producer writing for the morning show and, and all that stuff. Um, So that's kind of how I that's how I started. And then I I wanted to be on air. So I got a job in a smaller market in central Louisiana, a little town called Alexandria. So I was an on air TV reporter there. And then I got hired as a TV reporter in Las Vegas, where I had an overnight shift and would get to work at midnight with my little (laughs) necktie on and just do a police scanner. And a photographer and I would drive around and go from crime scene to crime scene. And whatever was the worst thing was my live shot for the morning show. <laughs> um, then mm-hmm. I moved to Los Angeles and uh, I got a job as a writer in the overnight hours. And, and that's where the regional Emmy came from. I, I remember covering wildfires and then there was a terrible crash on an interstate. And uh, I was a writer on that show. So all of us who helped produce that uh, newscast each got a, a regional Emmy for it.
1: You know, I I studied news ed, I'm just going to say this quickly because I think journalism—that's the thing that's so appealing to me—was just all the people that you meet, the interviews you get to do. I was a food editor and a restaurant critic, and oh wow, it was fun. You know, and it's hard work, but I'm, I just wanted to ask because I I know that's part of your your bio too. So yeah.
2: yeah, and it's journalism was also something new every day. Yes, um, one day you'd be talking to the governor, and the next day you're talking to. A homeless person it really was a great way to see the world and connect with the community and and I was really lucky my best experience was at uh, channel Four in New Orleans and I worked with uh, at Hoda Kotb, worked there that's where she got we worked oh wow together, uh, and Michelle Miller who anchors the uh, CBS evening news, CBS uh, weekend news and that station really they really worked hard to create positive change in the community so uh, when Hoda was an anchor there, she would go spend the night in housing developments where there was high crime and murder, and and that would be a story on the on the news, and and they would tell it in like ten minutes, and uh, everyone watched. And nowadays yeah. journalism is is so different. There's not a there's not really a dominant source where everyone's like Walter Cronkite or in, back in New Orleans, I saw it on Channel Four, right? Um, and that's kind of sad. It's a bummer to see that.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's a whole nother podcast. But, oh, um, true. So you mentioned earlier, too, about the second diagnosis, and I know that happened right before your book came out. Talk a little bit about your book, but also how that, I mean, that's a kind of opposite ends of uh, things happening, you know, a, a book coming out, but then also a second cancer diagnosis. So
2: Yeah, it was really crazy. And it, and, and it was all happening under the COVID times. So I used to work for uh, Star Wars actress Carrie Fisher, who played Princess Leia. And I was her assistant for a few years. And it was a, a magical, wild experience. And I left uh, that job in 20, 2014. And then she died in 2016. And I wrote a, a novel inspired by our time together. Okay. And it takes takes novels forever to get published and all that. So I knew the release date was going to be July 2020. And it was April 2020 that I got the diagnosis and started my chemo. So it was a real bummer because it's sort of having a book published was, was sort of the biggest thing to ever kind of happen to my career. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, was, and I was so proud of it and excited and hope it was well received. And then at the same time, sick from the chemo and the silver lining of the book coming out in the middle of chemo was that mm-hmm. uh, I had something to look forward to. And I had some outlet in which people uh, who wanted to support, support me during the cancer thing could. They could buy a book and, uh, and send a nice note. And so all of that was really, it was really a nice blending of healing. I try to look at the chemo as a, the pro- a process of healing, even though it sucked. And right. uh, healing and support and art again, you know, um, which helped me so much the first time around. But yeah, it was weird.
1: That's a lot, but, um, you are right, though, about a book coming out. I, I don't have, I haven't written a book, but I'm just saying that is such a monumental accomplishment in one's life. So I can understand the, the challenges you must have felt with it. But, um, Thank you. you have a, you have a positive attitude about looking at the chemo as a healing process, which it is. It's just kind of a grueling healing process, but you know, it's. Yeah. It-
2: and also Joyce, I, I, recognize too, that I actually had it pretty easy. Like I caught my cancer so early both times and, um, that's always helpful. And also, you know, I don't have the worst. I didn't, you know, for me, my, my diagnosis was not the worst diagnosis. And I, when I was receiving chemo, I would look around at the, the other people in this hospital. It was not really private. We were in like a, a room but we could right. see each other. And, uh, and wow, people were really suffering. And that, that also kind of helped me, you know, cause it was, it was easy to, easy to say to myself, like, you don't have it that bad, you know, right. you don't have it as bad as right. that guy or that lady. And then things would happen. Like one lady I would watch and she would knit the whole time. And uh, one day she came up to me and gave me a hat that she, she knitted for me and she picked out all the colors and all that stuff. And just for me, she said, I, she said I could use a little color in my life. And so then the rest of my chemo, I wore that cap because it was always cold in there. And, yeah. And so it's just so hard to deny these little beautiful moments. And it forced a reckoning of like, oh, I, you know, life is, I'm mortal, but also look how pretty, you
1: know? Yes. You know, I know with Max, he, he was in a private room for most of his chemo, but I, at the end of it, I remember one of the nurses brought him some lemon bars, which I oh. just thought was great that, you know, it was all over and she brought him a, a pan of lemon bars. So- you're right those little moments happen that you have to cherish and remember so
2: and it's it uh, adds so many layers to a life uh, to everyone's life like to like i'm thinking of myself before that lady gave me the cap and maybe for max before the lemon bars you know there's a lot of thought about like what's happening to me am i going to be okay and then suddenly someone does something kind and you so, you realize the connection and like oh it isn't just about me like this person who's caring for me they they have a sort of stake in this too and I don't know. It just, um, oh, these little beautiful moments are, I hated that time, but I, I also treasure those little moments.
1: Yeah. I think you've kind of answered the, the other thing I was going to ask you around this was what was your biggest challenge in both your diagnoses? You know.
2: Yeah. Um, gosh. All right. Well, for the, for the first one, there were many, but this one maybe is relatable or helpful that uh, I felt like I had to take care of a lot of people I had some relatives who I called and would say, "Hey, I'm going through this," and then they would they would get a little bit crazy. What are we doing? What do we do? And I had to say, like, you know what? I'm sorry. I can't. I can't take care of you. I gotta. I gotta take care of me. And that was a real shift in thinking for me. And you know, hence after that, I've noticed that uh, I can I pick up when these things are happening. And so I was grateful for that lesson. And that was really hard. Is is. uh, is making sure that that I wasn't I wasn't carrying a bunch of other people that I really focused on on healing myself, and another element of this whole thing that I'm embarrassed to talk about, Joyce, is a little bit of vanity, yeah. and like, what is the chemo going to do to my body? Uh, is my hair going to fall out and never grow back? You know, at the time I was um, an actor and performing, and and I wondered what what will that do to that side of my life. This is an embarrassing part, but in both cases, in twenty fifteen and twenty twenty, I got really emotional about the hair stuff. Oh, um, I don't blame you. Why not? I mean, yeah, yeah,
1: that's it's a huge part of all of us, our hair. So Yeah.
2: Um, so the vanity stuff was was tricky too. And then then when my hair started falling out from the chemo, that was sort of I remember having a hard night one night at like three in the morning and I couldn't sleep and I was just sitting by myself on the couch in the dark in the living room and crying and and thinking I don't want this. I don't want this. And there's this self-help lady I love who often talks about not being at war with reality. And I can look back and see how how at war with with reality I was. And um, you know, when you're going through something like that, it's hard to say I want what happens, and it's hard to love what is. But I just try my best to find like the little things I can hang on to to say, you know, I feel sick today, and I don't want to eat, and maybe I'll throw up, but. But wow, that is a pretty shade of blue out there in the sky.
1: Right.
2: And sometimes it helps and sometimes it doesn't and I just need a nap or whatever, you know.
1: Yeah, and I think sometimes too we have to be able to say it isn't going to help me today to say that the sky is blue, but that's okay, you know. That's right. It's it's today and so you have yeah. to go on yeah, both of, sides.
2: That's right. And part of part of loving what is would be trying to love yourself even if you're feeling a little down. what what, what a crazy journey though.
1: Oh yeah, it is. It's um and you had it twice, so that makes it I think even more um I'm gonna say challenging, but probably memorable. And you have lots of time that was invested in getting well. So who was your support group through all of
2: this, Byron? My main support was uh my partner, Stephen. Uh, we started dating in twenty thirteen and um during the first uh diagnosis he uh well for both of them, but for the first one, um he was my he was my real rock. I was really lucky to have him and uh, and friends and family. Everyone was really um, lovely and supportive. Even Carrie Fisher, uh, she did a, a lovely tweet about the web series. And um, so so yeah, I was really lucky that I had a lot of uh, a lot of good uh, good support around me.
1: Yeah, that's great. So I, this is kind of along the same line that we were just talking about. But I know in your uh, your web series, Last Will and Testicle, there was. In the second part of it, there was a a segment where uh, I know you were reading a book, but you said something like maybe life is not meant to be as perfect as we think, but we have to live the life that we have right now. Mm. I thought that was profound and very accurate in terms of how to look at life. Can you talk about that philosophy a little bit and let you think about it now?
2: Sure, Joyce. So that book I was reading was by an author named Tara Brock. And she was someone who a friend sent me a video, and I really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed that. And there's another, there's another kind of self-help person I love whose name is Byron Katie. And, uh, but that book was by Tara Brock. And yeah, the sentiment of just like kind of, uh, part, of part of being at war with reality sometimes can be this should be perfect. and um, But if we let that go, uh, sometimes it can be perfect, even messy. And a, f- a friend recently told me a quote that sums it up way better than I think I did in that, w- in that web series, but she was talking about anxiety and that it's not enough to fight anxiety. You have to seek calm. And I mm. think that it's, it's maybe the same, um, with living. Like it's not enough to just fight like negative thoughts. You have to seek, um, the good in things sometimes. And, uh, and I think that's what I was just trying to t- trying to say in that, in that, um uh, web series so the in that in that scene there was the guy and uh he's having a fight with his tumor his tumor can talk and um and after he realizes that um this the the tumor character uh disappears so after after the character realizes that uh you know it's okay if life is a little messy sometimes um the tumor character disappears and it's a relief it was a relief for him so i'm so glad that um that that that, that, uh, stuck with you, Joyce.
1: No, it did. It was a very, um, well, it made, made me think about a lot of things that, um, I kind of review in my life and, you know, it's sometimes I, I the grass is always greener, but if mm. you think that way, then you miss what's right in front of you. And, um, mm. you know, I, I, it did catch me that, that comment. So I just wanted to ask you about it too. Thank you. Um, well, I know too, you've been very active, um, in raising awareness about testicular cancer and encouraging men to do self exams and participating in November, um, Can you talk about some of the things that you are doing and what, what advice you have for men about taking care of their health?
2: Um, gosh, listen to your body. You know, I, I keep thinking back on uh, what if I would have kept ignoring um when I felt the lump initially, what if I would have just said, "Okay"? When my when my doctor's office tried to cancel an appointment, um, listen to your body and be your advocate. Uh, I have a I have a, a friend who said something um, that has stuck with me. She said she was having uh, she was having a dispute with her doctor. Her doctor was saying that uh, something wasn't, you know, that she was like making something up or whatever. And, she's, and he was like, I'm your doctor. And she said to him, actually, no, you know what? I'm, I am my doctor. And what she meant was, uh, I am the authority on my body. And I thought, you know what? That's a, that is great. That is true. And, uh, and I'm lucky that I had doctors who were great uh, partners with me and all that stuff. And find, find a partner if, you're, if your doctor doesn't listen or you're not, you're not being heard. But, uh, but fight for your health. And the sooner you catch testicular cancer, the better.
1: Right, all right. That's very good advice about finding the right physician. Um, because if you're unhappy, look, you know, get a second opinion or do something so that you are with the right person. Um, yeah, I like what you say about that because it's very true. Do you have advice? And you probably just said this, but listen to your body. You know, anybody that's going through treatment now for testicular cancer or um, might think they have it. Any other thing you want to say around that?
2: I, I just just to reiterate please get it checked out and, uh, and lean on the people around you who you love. And, and it also, it makes me wonder Joyce, if I can ask you how sure. you're doing. Um, Cause I know that part of, part of uh, my journey and my healing has been, you know, uh, my mom has been a great support system for me and I can't imagine what it, what she'd be going through if, um, if things had gone a different way for me. So I, I, I wonder how you're doing.
1: Well, thank you for asking that Byron. Um, you know, We're fine. I'm fine. It took us a while. It was six years ago in May that Max died and Friday, this Friday, June 17th is his birthday. He would have been 29. And, you know, I think what's helped us is time. Mm -hmm. And I also think having the foundation that Max's dad and his brother and I founded, um, which is where this podcast comes from, that's really helped us, um, you know, remember Max, but feel like we're doing something so people don't have to go through it, but he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as a mom, it's it's a hole. It's, it's always going to be a hole to lose um, a child. Uh, I know his brother was um, upset and, you know, he, again, he's healed too, but, you know, he lost his only sibling and, mm-hmm. you know, things like that, or you can move on and do other things, but, you know, there's always that kind of little void a big void in your life. But um we're good. We're you know doing things like this really helps. So but I really appreciate that you asked. So
2: of course. And are you doing anything special on on Friday?
1: Well on Friday um Max loved carrot cake, so we'll probably have carrot cake. Um oh. and um you know we The three of us, you know, my son and my partner, Bill, and me will probably sit down. And um, I know his dad is with, um, his dad lives in a different city, but he's with um, his niece, actually. So I know they're going to be doing something to remember Max. And actually, I just posted something on my Facebook page today was some pictures of Max. So, you know, we do things like that. And um, just, I think being together helps, so...
2: Oh, that's really beautiful, Joyce. Well, I'll be thinking about Max on Friday, and I'm gonna stalk you on Facebook and uh, and check. Okay,
1: out. all right. So, um, what's next for you? I just, you know, you're so successful and and so giving. Um, I just wondered if anything you want to share about what's ahead.
2: Oh gosh, you know, I I wish I was more successful. Uh, maybe I think it looks that way, but it's a lot of uh, the creative life is really a lot of like throwing noodles at the wall and seeing what sticks. And um, so I've written a, a second novel, and oh. uh, my editor has that right now, and that's a really touching mother and son story about um, marriage. It's a little bit like Father of the Bride, but instead of a uh, instead of a uh, dad and a daughter it's a mom and a son
1: okay oh. um
2: so i'm excited about that and i hope my editor loves it um and then we'll see what happens i'm working on uh turning the first book a star is bored into a tv series so lots oh of, wow lots of talk about that oh good and um and then i, I have a play that i wrote that tilda swinton answers an ad on craigslist and we're going to be doing that play in los angeles in uh in july so so it's some irons in
1: the fire. Oh, those those are all exciting. So I'll watch Aww. for news on that. Um,
2: Thanks, Joyce.
1: It's probably better in LA than it is here in Chicago. It's uh, almost a hundred degrees today. So oh, I man. like yeah, I like the heat, but um, I know it's warm in LA usually too. But oh yeah. Um, but now my last question is a fun question. Okay. So what song when you hear it do you just have to sing along?
2: Uh, I'm trying to think of uh, uh, I I. Before we started chatting, I pulled up an email and and looked at like some possible questions, and I saw this one, and I was like, I better figure that out. And
1: I don't know. Oh, well, that's but the, okay.
2: But the one that came to me was um, uh, the Whitney Houston song. I was a huge Whitney Houston fan, and uh, I have nothing. That's one of them. That if it comes on, okay. I'll try to sing it. Um, man her that was another tragic death in the world.
1: Um, yes, it was for Whitney, yeah.
2: but yeah, that was my that was my thing. I was a huge Whitney fan. I had a poster of her over my bed uh, in Louisiana uh, when I was growing up and uh, she was the first concert I ever went to at the Cajun Dome in Lafayette. Um, oh, and fun. I loved wow. the movie The Bodyguard and yes, I don't know. Yeah. Crazy, crazy
1: yeah my first concert was the beach boys in kansas city so oh that's a huge
2: that's great (laughs) yeah that is a solid reputable band good for
1: them yeah well i think we've covered a lot and again thank you for being here and sharing everything with your story and life and more so
2: thanks for what thanks for what you're doing and uh and i'll be thinking of you and max on on friday
1: okay thank you
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to our program on your favorite podcast directory. You can also visit the Max Mallory Foundation at www.maxmalloryfoundation.com podcast to listen to previous podcast episodes or donate to the foundation. And join us again next time for another episode of Don't Give Up on testicular cancer.